<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Welcome back. This might be the juiciest and most informative podcast we've ever done. If you have followed me online for a while, you know that I've been seeking this conversation out for some time and just so happened to kind of land in my lap right while I'm in Langley, BC right now. So please welcome Dr. Lori Brado. Did I say that right, Brado? You, you sure did. Oh, amazing. Look <laughs> at me go. Okay. Introduce yourself. Tell us what you do. Tell us who you are. Okay. So I am Lori Brado. I'm a sex researcher, Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health. That means that the federal government pays me to understand women's sexuality. Um, and I'm the executive director of the Women's Health Research Institute. And essentially what we do there is we support much of the research on women's health across okay. the province. Okay. Whatever stemmed you into wanting to work specifically in, it's the psychology of, it's not even yeah. just like women's sexual health. That's almost like a totally different external thing. We're talking really internal stuff here. Yeah. How did it stem that you really were like, this is it? It's, yeah. this is what I want to work in. So I most definitely didn't, you know, go to career day in ninth grade and say, oh, I'm going to be a sex researcher. That would have been cool as hell if you did. <laughs> that would not have been my upbringing. I grew up in a really, really strict conservative Italian okay. Catholic upbringing. Wow. But I've always loved research. And so I started volunteering in a research lab. And actually what we were doing was we were studying rats. And we were studying the effects of medications on rat sexual behavior as a way to understand men's sexuality. Of course. Right? Of course. Of course. So then fast forward a few years into my degree and blockbuster medication Viagra got approved for men in 1999 in Canada. That same year, a really big study was published that found 40% of women have ongoing sexual problems. So lack of desire, difficulties with sex being painful, and orgasmia, lack of pleasure. And so then it sort of steered me in the direction of, well, we've got this incredible, amazing, cheap, easy to use, discrete medication for men. We must have the same for women, given that women's sexual problems are so common turned the literature, scoured the internet, and there was absolutely nothing. Wow. 
So I pretty much left the animal research that day and then began to really devote my studies to understanding women's sexuality. So starting out with trying to understand how common are women's sexual problems? Mm. Were Canadian women different from European women, from American women? Valid questions. (laughs) And it turns out they are. Really? Um, And then over time, really devoting my career to treatments. And these are non-pharmacological treatments. So mostly psychological and mindfulness-based treatments. So that's something really interesting to me because I was recently with a group of girls and one of them decided to bring up that, you know, she's never experienced an orgasm. And I was like, what? And then immediately I was like, do you have the Satisfier Pro? (laughs) I just immediately, I was like, your sex toys. And she's like, I've tried it all. It doesn't, it hasn't happened for me. And then another girl was like, yeah, really not me either. And then I was like, why would you choose to have sex? Like, why are you doing it? Like, what is in it for you? And they were both kind of having that same thing where it didn't feel like a physical thing. They knew that they'd been trying. It just wasn't happening. And potentially it might be psychological. And that was the first, and, and I mean, this is recent. That's the first time it really woke me up to the fact that this could be entirely a psychological thing for women where like in men's sexual health, it does seem very external. I mean, we know what the Viagra pill does. It turns a frown upside down. And you know what? We have a totally different thing than what's happening with women because there is no external factor. It's not an identifiable thing, whether or not they're even enjoying sex. So we have like this really uncomfortable secret that happens. Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't even realize how much, and yet, in even in my own platform, which makes no sense because I have no idea what I'm doing, women will come to me all the time and say like, what do you do for low sex drive? And what yeah. do you do for that? And I'm like, wow, it is a huge, massive issue. Yeah, it sure is. So first of all, kudos to you and your friends for talking about it because most people don't talk about I'm it. I'm really glad they did because yeah. it was actually a really encouraging. And I think that we all kind of walked away and we're like, go talk to somebody. Go like you, to you deserve to enjoy sex. Yeah, so this has been an area of a lot of scientific study. And what we know is that the majority of women with sexual problems will never tell anyone, will Mm. never tell a family doctor, and they just suffer in silence. Um, That includes women who have pain with sex. And so these are women who not only are not feeling pleasure, it's actually excruciatingly painful each time that they have sexual intercourse. So anorgasmia, which is basically inability to reach orgasm, is also really common. It probably affects about 15% of women. Um, And as you said, it's mostly due to psychological, emotional, and relationship-related factors. It's rarely due to anything physical or physiological. And part of the problem is that if you were to make it into a doctor's office and be examined, the doctor doesn't see anything. Women are often dismissed or told, Mm -hmm. well, you know, maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you're frigid. Maybe you have a hang-up. Maybe you have a history of abuse. And and yeah, all of those might be true. But I think doctors are really quick to jump to assumptions, which then reinforces women not talking about it to be begin with because they feel even more broken. And you know what? It's really a frustrating place to be. And this is something that, you know, there was a quote that I read last year and it woke me up to so much of even how I felt about my body. Like my purpose on this planet is not for male ejaculation. And I was like, (laughs) you hear that line and you're like, and you start to understand how many narratives we had and felt and decided that that was what our purpose on this planet is for. Yeah, It made me feel better about my body being like, "Eh, I have more important things to do than to worry about that. Right. But also to start advocating for myself and my own, you know, you know, self-love or like relationship love or whatever that is, like that pleasure points. And I mean, it can be so uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable about it now, I think because I'm so interested in it. Mm -hmm. I know you're a researcher, so you obviously were interested in it, but it is so 
Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned self-love and that is a big part of it. A lot of women spend time catastrophizing about the outcome that they actually miss out on the encounter. So before Mm. they even get into the encounter, they're so preoccupied with, oh my gosh, the lights have to be off because if partner sees that roll on my back, it's going to turn them off immediately. If I don't have an orgasm, they're going to leave me. If I don't please them in the right way, again, this very kind of male-focused, ejaculation-focused mm-hmm. um, kind of sex that women have been having for centuries. Yes. And no one's ever questioned it. And I think finally now we're questioning it. And we're saying not only is sexual health a right, it's actually declared in the World Health Organization definition of health. Sexual health is a core part of our definition of health. We're increasingly seeing it as a human right. To be deprived of that, which has happened, women's sexuality has been subjugated for years. They get labeled either as frigid, if you don't like it enough, or a nymphomaniac, if you like it too much. Too those much. are the only two. Those are the only two options. There's no in between. Right. There's there's no room for a woman celebrating her sexuality and being encouraged to ask for what she wants. for one of today's sponsors, which is HelloFresh. And what is HelloFresh? It is mouth-watering seasonal recipes that are pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with Canada's most recommended meal kit. HelloFresh makes cooking at home simple, planned, and delicious so you can enjoy cooking again. HelloFresh's recipes are so delicious. You can actually try new recipes, learn new cooking techniques, and enjoy new tastes every week with HelloFresh's ever-changing menu. There's something for everyone with world cuisines, vegetarian recipes, beyond meat options, which I love, seasonal favorites and 20 minute meals and more. You also can enjoy a flexible meal plan, meaning your subscription is completely flexible to your schedule of the delivery days, or you can skip a week anytime, order what you want when you want with no commitments. You can add extra meals to your order and as well throw in some yummy sides like, say, garlic bread. And HelloFresh really has a goal towards sustainability. Their pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and also less food waste. The packaging HelloFresh uses to ship your food is almost entirely made of recyclable and or already recycled content. It also helps family dinners so much easier. You can discover a better cooking routine with HelloFresh, doing all your meal planning, shopping, and prepping so dinner is solved for those busy weeknights. You can also get kid-friendly recipes that are guaranteed to please even the pickiest of eaters. I've got a couple of them. I can tell you that that is definitely a need. So if you are interested in checking out HelloFresh for yourself, and you know we have done this before as well, it's been so helpful in this season of our lives to have these pre-portioned ingredients, just everything ready to go for us, delivered to our doorstep. Shane and I have been taking turns on cooking and really enjoying feeling like a chef at home. I can't say enough good things about a meal delivery service like this. So you can go and check out HelloFresh and for a total of $80 off your first three weeks of HelloFresh, which also includes free shipping, go to hellofresh.ca forward slash papaya 80 and enter code papaya 80. That's hellofresh.ca forward slash papaya 80 and enter code papaya 80. Now let's get back to the show. I want to introduce you to something that everybody needs in their life, which is Adderall and compliments, which is also the name of my podcast. 
I'm Annabelle, and every week I want you to come kiki with me and my hilarious friends as we talk about everything from reality TV to dating fails, mental health. I promise it will make you laugh, and most importantly, it will make you feel so much better about your own life. So come join me and my baby stripper voice every Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and follow me on Instagram at Annabelle Zisisto and give me the greatest gift of all, which is validation. I think most of us grew up feeling, even when we want to talk about masturbation, or I call it self-love, but a form of it, a self-care, a self-love, because it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about because it does kind of open this like window into your private life. But at the same time, I think it's really important that we destigmatize it for women because that's truly how you're going. I was watching like a comedian talk about a stand-up show and he's like, teach us how to, like mm-hmm. teach us how to love you. Like teach us how to do these things. And I was like, how can we teach something we haven't even learned ourselves? Yeah. But I'm like somebody who didn't really even figure that out because I thought that it was the wrong thing to do. I thought mm-hmm. that that was not okay. Again, didn't really think that that was my bodily purpose. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talked about that catastrophizing mm-hmm. thought process mm-hmm. and how many times, even in the process of being intimate with somebody, our bodies and the way that we're viewing ourselves yeah. and our internal dialogue. What if I leak? What if I smell? What if I make the wrong sound? What if I move the yeah, wrong way? What yeah. if dot, yeah. dot, 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 it continues. Right? And we actually, we actually know because science has studied this, what happens to our internal arousal processes when we do that, when we jump to the end and catastrophize, it actually blocks the, the arousal response. So mm. arousal, I mean, sex is a brain body experience. It's not just a reflex. It's not right. just, you know, if I press the button long enough and hard enough, she'll respond. That's yes. not, yeah, I don't I need to tell you or your listeners that. That's not how it I works. I think we all are pretty aware. We're we all pretty aware yeah. of that. And so anything that can get in the way of that, including catastrophizing, including worrying, including being distracted. And sometimes Mm. we get distracted by benign things. What am I making for dinner? What's on the agenda for tomorrow? Open your eyes. Oh my gosh, I see a pile of laundry in the middle of the room. All of those even kind of benign distractions can really interfere with arousal. And that's why I'm a big proponent of strategies like mindfulness that teach us how do we, you know, if we're going to have sex, why not show up for it? So what does that look like? How do we (laughs) mentally show up for sex and stop? I talk about this a lot in terms of living life, like going to the beach. You know, how do you start to live presently outside of your body while being in your body? Like, how do we start being more present, more appreciative of life, you know, beyond our forms? But when we talk about sex, this is very different because it's truly our bodies in action. Yeah. And then our minds on top of that, which is a really scary narrative that a lot of us are currently in. So what does it look like when you're talking about that? Like, give me a little bit of the goods here. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot easier to practice that when you're outside of the sexual encounter. So I I often advocate, you know, start doing this every day. Mm. And you can do this formally, right? You can adopt a meditation practice for 10 or 15 minutes a day where you're guided through to pay attention to your body. Mm. Um, And most of us, and especially women, are not tuned into our body. We're not tuned in. And that's often why we catch symptoms sometimes when it's too late. Mm. And it's because often we're on go, go, go. Yes. Right? So that's one thing is we can actually do this formally. We can also do it informally. So when you're having a conversation with someone, be there. Show up for the conversation. Look at the person's eyes. Active listening. Active listening. Notice what's going on within you while you're talking to the other person. Mm. You can do this while you're eating too. And you'll find if you do it when you're eating, food will taste better. 
Oh, I can um, imagine. So if we start to do this in our life, then our brain, which has a tendency to jump all over the place, and that's sort of human nature. And because of technology, it reinforces that. Yeah. Right? This sort of yep. multitasking as if it's some ideal. It's not. And we can then catch our minds and bring it back to the present moment. So then when sex comes along, we actually start to actively do that. We notice, where am I? Do I feel my partner's skin? Do I feel the internal arousal starting to bubble? Mm. Do I feel the increase in my temperature? And yes, with practice, you can actually feel your own internal temperature start to increase. Do you feel the labia start to get filled with blood? Do you feel the very early signs of an orgasm happening? And with practice, the brain can absolutely detect those signs. And the science has shown that. That's incredible. That's actually, it makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of times, even for myself, I almost have to like, you're talking about the distractions. Like you almost have to like shut your eyes and be like, oh gosh, like there's a point where you're like, I need to focus or this isn't happening. But for a lot of women and what I'm hearing so, so much is I just, I had a baby or I'm just, I've been in this relationship. I'm not in the mood. I feel like that part of my brain is missing. I feel like I just don't have it. I don't know what happened and I don't know why. What is kind of some common things that could mm -hmm. be a part of that? Yeah, definitely. So when there are sexual problems, again, low desire being the mm -hmm. most common one, about 33%. So one in three women wow. will say over the last year, I've had a period of time for at least three months yep. where I had no interest in sex. So this is really common. Super common. So think, you know, if yeah. you're in a room full of women, chances are a third of them have suffered from this. And it's something that's been studied up and down and sideways. So what are the common causes? Mm -hmm. The most common question I get asked is, you know, doc, is it hormonal? Yes. Um, and it's usually not. Now that's not to say that hormones don't play a role. They absolutely yeah. do. So with yeah. breastfeeding, estrogen goes down, sex mm -hmm. can hurt mm -hmm. and that can affect desire. Mm -hmm. With menopause, same thing. Estrogen levels bottom out, the walls of the vagina get thin, dryness, and it can absolutely hurt. Same with pregnancy, although for some women during pregnancy, they actually it's feel nice. more yeah. desire, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's because actually there's a physical reason for that. And it's because of the pressure on the really important nerves oh. that feed the clitoris, the pudental nerve. They actually fill with blood more readily. And so women are sort of halfway to orgasm during the second and third trimester. Get out. I'm not, that's I do not wild. tell a lie. <laughs> so oh, that's crazy. So hormones are important, but they're by far not the reason that the yes. majority of women have sexual concerns. So mood is a big one. Mm. Depression being the leading one. And when you think okay. of, you know, what is depression? Depression is loss of interest. Yeah. And so it makes sense then that a woman would lose interest in sex if right. she is depressed. But even chronic stress, the day-to-day -day grind. So you mentioned, you know, the new mom. Yeah. She's not sleeping. She's caring for this infant. In fact, she's pouring all of her love and intimacy into bonding with this child. And yes. there's some writers who say that the intimacy of sex actually gets replaced with the intimacy of connecting with a newborn baby. Oh, wow. Um, and it's not in a kind of sexual no, way. No, 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 but, but it in makes a sense. very intimate way. So, yes. you know, I often say to new moms, you know, in order to really want sex, it's got to give you something above what you're already getting mm. from this intimate, and it's all day long. You're touching your newborn's face. There's breastfeeding, there's cuddling, there's baby talk. Yeah. Very intimate act. So sex has to go above and beyond that. And if you're sleep deprived and the gas tank is in, there's no separate gas tank for sex, yeah. right? There's one gas tank and fuels, one. it fuels everything. Right.
All right. I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor, which is KiwiCo. And if you follow me on Instagram, you've seen these in our Instagram stories because we have been using them like crazy. My kids are so in love with these kits. And what KiwiCo is, is a really cool way for your kids or a friend or grandchild, niece, nephew, little cousin to learn at home with really neat crafting, engineering, and science projects. So the Kiwi crate that we just did yesterday was hydraulics and my son was so into it. He probably spent three hours on it independently and then spent so much time with our family kind of showing us and and teaching us and having us be a participant in it as well. They're really, really neat. And what they are is these cool hands-on science and art projects that are delivered to your door every month. Kids love mail. And not only that, but they have high quality materials inside. They're real engineering science and art projects for children. So you can do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. And when they're finished, you can watch their confidence soar. As a parent, I know it can be hard to find creative and new things to keep your children busy and challenged now that they're outside of school. KiwiCo solves that problem and you can spend quality time tackling projects together at home and do something new with your children. There are different crates for kids of all ages, so there's something for every kid on your list. You can also learn about individual projects from KiwiCo's store if you don't want to commit to a whole subscription as well. And there is no real commitment because you can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or the kid at heart at KiwiCo. And you can get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com forward slash papaya. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. We were talking about, you know, the intimacy that a mother can have with their child and and that kind of being this difference. But it also brings you down to why are women having sex versus why are men having sex? And it feels very <laughs> like, is there more common traits between why men have sex versus why women do it? Yeah, great question. This also has been studied quite a bit. I'll just start by saying it really depends on if you're in a long-term relationship yes. or not. Okay. So if we look at long-term relationships, men and women have sex for mostly the same reasons. If we look in newer relationships, newer being defined as roughly less than two years, okay. you know, the quote honeymoon phase, then there's definitely more physical reasons that men have sex. So men will often say, you know, they just feel out of the blue, spontaneously in the mood for sex. Mm. And the things that turn them on, the kind of triggers that turn them on and make them excited, they're more responsive to them. Women, less so. There's more kind of barriers that get in the way. So I'll draw a perfect comparison. You know, you see an attractive person on the street. Men are much more likely to want to have sex than women are. Oh, really? Yes. So those triggers are more powerful for men than they are for women. But it actually turns out, so there's like 237 different reasons that people have for why they have sex. 237. 237 I can think of like five. If I gave you enough time, you could probably think of 35. (laughs) I I promise you. But a lot of them have nothing to do with desire. Yeah. They might have to do with connections, celebrating a birthday, wanting to de-stress, wanting to get to sleep, wanting to have fun revenge sex, the Mm. list goes on. Mm -hmm. And actually what we know is that people who have kind of a variety of different reasons for why they have sex, 
can withstand some of the ups and downs of sexual problems, right? right? So if you have just one reason why you have sex and it's because, well, I have sex when I'm in the mood, well, then what happens when that spontaneous desire goes down because of a medication right? because of an illness? Very you've got, common. You've got no other reasons to have sex. Right. So in therapy, we actually work with people to really brainstorm other reasons why they would want to have sex. Which kind of brings me to my next question. And it's one that's kind of made me curious over the years because I'm one of those people like the 33% who have had periods where I've just not desired it. Mm-hmm. But I've always been like, I'm pretty sure that if I have sex more, that's going to make me want it more. It's like supply and demand. (laughs) And I just like treated it that way, but I don't know if I'm right at all. Like again, like having sex for reasons more than just this one thing. Like I didn't have this innate desire Mm -hmm. to have it, but then like by having it and getting into the habit of it, regard like more of a choice versus like a desire. 100%. It started to increase over time, but I was like, maybe that's just where mine lifted. And I feel like it's a tricky place to be because you don't want to like, when somebody comes to you and they're like, oh, like I'm really struggling to like desire my partner. It seems really wrong to be like, you should just go off sex with them. Because that feels like what that's what the world is telling everybody to do all the time. But is there actually some science behind it? Yeah, ton of science. So, you know, there's there's two different kinds of desire. There's this one spontaneous desire that I described, the desire that just sort of hits you out of the blue. You want to have sex and there's really no reason. And, and that fades and yeah. it goes down. It's directly related to the number of years you're, you're with a yeah. partner and it gets replaced with something called responsive desire. And a lot of our research really focuses on what is responsive desire? Who has it? How do we cultivate it? My book focuses mostly on responsive mm-hmm. desire. And it's this idea that if you go into sex for a good reason or a couple of reasons that have not even have nothing to do with desire. Right. Um, so a reason like I want to connect. This is a way to communicate with you in a way that we don't any other way. I want to have fun. I want to feel release, even if you don't feel it in the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then if what actually happens during the encounter is positive, yes, pleasurable, rewarding, you feel your needs are met, at some point during that interaction, you're going to want it. Mm, right? Yeah, true. So we call it responsive desire because it responds, it comes out. Okay. of the encounter already starting. Oh, wow. And that's healthy and it's normal. And that's really the predominant kind of desire that women in you know any relationship longer than two years experience. Now, I do want to say that it's important to have a good reason to have sex. So if you're having yes. sex to avoid a fight mm. or because your partner is belligerent or mean, yeah. that's a perfect recipe for resentment. Yes, and yes. I, and I would question if that's even consensual. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Right. Yes. No, it's really, really important. And there's a lot. And I mean, I even read an interview. I don't remember who it was coming out of one of the bachelorship people. And it was an interview where he said something about you know, his struggles and the fact that like he wasn't getting sex right after like a baby was born in their family. And, and and I was just like, oh my gosh. But I mean, there is so much pressure on women and men have been sadly so misguided. Like I, as much as I want to be like, it's men's fault and blah, 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 it's really like, it's been ingrained in them that this is what women are for. Porn culture taught them mm-hmm. this one way of sex. So they haven't actually understood for a hot second what it's really meant to be or what it is. And so it does become this little bit of a, oh, I have to do it or we're in a fight or I have to do it or, you know, things are bad and there's a rift between us. This idea of saying no within, you know, relationships is really hard for people still. Really, really hard. Because if you were talking to your significant other and they were like, 
you know, hinting towards wanting to have sex and you're like, no, I don't want that. And they get mad at you. Right. That's no longer a good feeling. Nope. Like it's, it's, that's no longer a relationship. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And there's a lot of women that are, I've just talked to so many at this point and it feels incredibly, incredibly common. Yeah. And they're trapped, right? Yeah. They're, they're trapped because they may love their partner. They may love what their relationship has created, stability, kids, home, whatever, all of the fixings. Mm-hmm. Yet they're really suffering when it comes to sex. And it can't be that way. It can't, And it yeah. shouldn't be. It, it yeah. really is a non-consensual. It, it is almost the equivalent of a sexual assault that yes. keeps happening over and over. And women's bodies don't lie. So often what happens in that situation is the muscles of the body tighten up including the pelvic floor muscle, that really important muscle that kind of keeps you continent. Yes. It starts to really tighten up such that it it can actually close off the opening of the vagina and feel like a wall. So it it can make sex really hurt. And it's the body saying no. Yes. The body saying no Oh my gosh. So even if her mouth can't, her body is saying no. So is this where sex therapy comes in for a lot of people? 100%. Okay. 100%. Because you were also a sex therapist. Yes. 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 First of all, a lot of sex therapy people say, oh my God, what do you do as a sex therapist? That's what I mean. I was like, that's what I'm like, what is sex therapy? It's really not that sexy. (laughs) It's not because it it is a lot of, you know, trauma work and mood work and self-empowerment work and finding your voice work and um, becoming aware work. Yeah. And so that I think is is often a critical tool and no medication is going to fix that, right? A medication Mm. is not going to turn your partner suddenly into a kind human being. Oh, absolutely. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It makes it's it- almost silly to say that out loud, but the number of, I think, people who believe that, that, you know, or maybe they've been told, go see your family doctor, get your blood levels of testosterone checked, get that hormone that you need or that Viagra for women yes. that you need, and then come back when your desire is back. And again, it just reinforces her feeling broken over and over. Is there a Viagra for women? So there is in Canada. Don't get your hopes up because it's a terrible medication. So it was oh. approved last year. Okay. Basically what it does is it increases the number of sexually satisfying events by one half per month. So one among half. the sex you're already having, let's say you're having sex twice a month. Yeah. It means that half of one of those episodes will now be satisfying. It can't be mixed with alcohol. And it needs to be used for eight weeks every day before you see any benefit at all. It's barely made a dent in Gosh, the Canadian and American. Way scene. less exciting than the male Viagra. Like, yeah. geez. And it's expensive too, not covered by any extended benefits. And it's pretty expensive. Is male Viagra covered by extended It's benefits? not, but it's become, because there's so many generic forms of it right. now, there's like 20 different generic okay. forms, you can actually get it pretty cheap. Oh, wow. No, I just wondered. I was like, if there is a lot, <laughs> they're right. like not letting it for women. Yeah. So talk to me about the book. So your book is called Better Sex Through Mindfulness, saying how women can cultivate desire. You wrote a whole book on this, <laughs> which is just wild. It has a foreword by The Come As You Are, which is yeah. another book that I've picked up before as well. Yeah. What pushed you into wanting to do this subject and yeah. talking about this a little bit more deeply? Because to be honest, I think you're the first person I've ever talked to that is approaching sexual health for women from the mind. Yeah. So first of all, you know, it's really important to get the message and the science out to women. And as scientists, we talk about this as being knowledge translation. Yes. And there's a huge gap, right? Yes. So the vast majority of research doesn't actually get out to the public in a way that they can use it as mm-hmm. a taxpayer. That mm-hmm. actually makes me really upset Yeah. Um, because research is happening, but it's not improving practice. It's not changing policy. It's not, and people are just not aware of it. Right. So the reason I wrote the book was to take the 
science, take the research that we've done. And we've been studying mindfulness as a tool for improving sexual health and for decreasing genital pain um, mm. for about 18 years now and publishing it, you know, close to 200 publications in medical journals, et cetera, et cetera. But women, the public doesn't read those. No. Right? They're buried in journals at universities that you need a subscription for. So the book for me is a form of knowledge translation. Yes. It's a way of taking the science, distilling it down to bite-sized pieces. Yes. Um, and then I fold it in stories. So I've taken cases of women that I've seen, concealed their identity, yes. um, and then used their stories as a way to share the science with the public. So I'm sort of marrying story yeah. with science in the book. Because I think that's what's so hard. Like Even when I've talked to so many different uh, therapists around different subjects, it's really hard to kind of have these blanket conversations because it's so case-by-case case basis. Right. You can generalize to some degree, but I like that you said that, you know, you're kind of sharing the stories confidentially because it, mm -hmm. it almost has to be an understanding of how somebody would journey through something and understand what success even looks like. And, and I think we're kind of in this age where we're really opening our minds to different conversations of what, what is sex for us and yeah. what are relationships? I had this amazing conversation the other week all about what is successful dating and just kind of dismantling this idea that a success date means it ends in marriage. Mm. And this idea that the only reason that we go on dates is to, to find a mate when really we could go on a date and find a really great friend. Yeah. We could find out something we really don't like about, mm -hmm. about you know, finding a partner. We could have an incredible meal and a great conversation. Mm -hmm. There's so many different aspects to dating that doesn't end in marriage and could still be considered successful dating. I mean, even on a failure date, you could find success points in it. And I find the same thing is how I'm kind of starting to feel about sex too, is that it doesn't have to be, you know, for a lot of, a lot of times, like if I'm being completely honest, even times that I don't come to orgasm during sex is still been, like you were saying earlier, yeah. it's been a positive experience. Yeah. So therefore like I've walked away with other aspects of sex that yeah. have been really great. And so I love the kind of this conversation around, you know, what is successful sex? Yeah. It's, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because it taps into a lot of the myths and stereotypes that exist, mm. which is, you know, if you're not having an orgasm, it's not yeah. worth it, or there's something wrong with you, or there's something wrong with your partner. And so what I often see is then women and men, but we're talking about women here, really kind of focused on, am I getting close? Am I almost there? Are they noticing? What if I move? Will I get any closer? And it actually pushes them farther right. away from sex. So if we kind of dismantle that idea that good sex equals orgasm, yes. it opens up the possibility that we can define good sex in so many other ways. Right. So maybe it is, you know, I took half an hour out of my day and did something fun. Yeah. Like there's another emotion in there, yes. like fun. Or some women will say that sex is relaxing. It actually is a way of them dealing with their anxiety. Mm. It could be a way to fall asleep. So first of all, we need to recognize that there's this stereotype that exists, yeah. which equates good sex with orgasm. And then we have to say, all right, well, maybe I need to start to figure out. And maybe that means paying attention to yeah. how I define good sex. And it might be defined differently every single time. I guess Harder so. for, for male partners if you have a male partner because they're- Oh, imagine they're just like, don't finish. And then right. they're just like, carry yeah, on with your but day. But there will be times in life, if it's a male partner, where they can't. If right. they're on a medication, right. if they've had alcohol. Yes. Right? Yep. And so they absolutely stand to benefit from thinking about how else to define good sex. I love that. And you know what? It's funny too, even just the intimacy part of it. And I think that's where I find so many of us, when we talk about getting into our heads so much, there's two partners 
partners wanting to share in this intimate experience and women more commonly than men. And I, and I've talked about this a lot about my own story, keep your shirt on, keep your body hidden. And I was like, I actually denied myself a physical touch because of external factors that I assumed the other person was thinking that they weren't thinking at all, that they were only thinking that they really just wanted to hold me. And then I had to wear a t-shirt and walk backwards out of the room. Like, oh my goodness, the amount of things that, but it's so, so common. There's hope. There is hope. Right. And I love that. So This is my next question. And I'm just going to like <laughs> preface this with, let's put ethics aside for a second. Everyone has different moral boundaries. There's a lot of gray area here. Let's talk about porn and the impact on our mindfulness now mm-hmm. with sex today. I, I touched a little bit on porn culture and some of the negatives about it, but I also know like there's a lot of porn positive people and, yeah. you know, talking about it in a really positive way. There's also ethical porn now, which is very different than the normal porn industry, but I'm interested in the science behind it yeah. on in your perspective in terms of when you're dealing with people, how much of it has come in in a positive thing and how yeah. much of it has been a negative impact. Yeah. So I'm really glad you gave the preface because yeah. your listeners might have, you know, they might run the full gamut of different reactions to what we're about to say or what I'm about to say. So first of all, if we had really good sex education Mm. across Canada and in every school system and it was reinforced, the negative effects of porn would be far less. Right. The problem is, is that because we don't have a universal, excellent sex education program, Mm -hmm. young people actually turn to porn as a form of education. So that means, and that's where a lot of the ideas about, you know, sex ends in orgasm. Only beautiful people have fun sex. Everyone is always in the mood. No one ever talks about what they want. No one ever farts during sex, right? Or queefs like, (laughs) oh gosh, the first time that happened, I was like, oh my, I'm just going to die here. (laughs) You just don't see it. You don't see people put condoms on. You don't see discussions of consent. You don't see someone say, ouch, that hurts. Can you move? So in the absence, again, of education, yeah, people do turn to porn. And we know that the research actually tells us that for a lot of young people, that is how they learn about sex. Mm. And that is how they learn about bodies, et cetera. So it's not that porn in and of itself is a harmful thing. It's that when it's the only vehicle for them to learn, it can be really, really harmful. So we're also seeing an increasing trend that worries me a lot of, of young women getting labiaplasty. So labiaplasty, labia, you know what labia are. Yeah. We have inner labia, the, the labia minor, and we have outer labia. Those are the hair-bearing parts, labia okay. majora. That's um, a good way of defining the two. And, yeah. So, but they essentially protect the opening of the vagina. Yep. And there's been this increasing trend, uh, and it's really, really common, of young women being dissatisfied with the fact that their inner labia are not symmetrical. So one side God, the skin mine has a is split longer. through one of them. I had children. And that is I've had totally children. normal. Yeah. Pornography. I call, it, I call it my that. trick labia. Yeah. You, it, beautiful. I love that. And, you know, labia are like love snowflake. They're, they're like yeah. snowflakes. No two are alike. But but you'll see women who are seeing plastic surgeons to have them being trimmed down, either to, both to be symmetrical and number two, so that they don't stick out outside of the outer labia. And so wow. it's a really upsetting trend that we see because it's mostly very young women and yeah. it's women who will come in with a photo from porn and say- Does that not put like their this. pleasure at risk? Yeah. So the science here is very flawed because the only people who have studied the effects of this are the plastic surgeons who are doing the surgery. Mm. So first of all, you have to pay a lot of money to have the surgery done. And then those same surgeons are asking their patients afterwards, so how's your sexual pleasure? Yeah. And so there's a bias here. You're not going to have women say, oh, it's terrible now. You're of course going to have 
have them say, yeah, it's great now. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, anytime that you're interfering with the nerves and the blood vessels of our genital parts, especially in women, there's a risk of permanently damaging the nerves. Add on top of that, the fact that it's only been in the last 15 years that cadaver studies have included female bodies. So if you look at what? medical, if you look at medical textbooks prior to 2000, a lot of what we understood about internal anatomy and physiology was based on male cadavers. Female oh cadavers were not, were not used. And we could go down a rabbit hole and talk about why that is. So basically what that means, there's a lot about the kind of internal workings of women's genitals that yeah. we still don't know. We're not doing nerve sparing surgeries. Mm. Um, we don't know which nerve produces pleasure, which one doesn't. It's still a little bit of the wild west down there. If anybody's an Instagrammer, I actually follow this art page called the Vulva Gallery. Yep. And it's made me feel so good about my vagina because I was like, oh, you know what? They're actually all very different. And how cool is that? And and it gets you really interested and curious and they're all artistically drawn. So it's not like real. It's funny when it's in my newsfeed and I'm like scrolling and I'm like, oh, a vagina. But when you go to the gallery and you Mm. see all the differences, it's actually really powerful to see. But now in terms of the porn thing, is there, Mm. is there positives when it comes to desire. Yes. And so in our, we run groups, we run eight session mm-hmm. groups for women with low desire. And in session six, so once we're well into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we introduce three sexual tools. So these are designed okay. to boost arousal. Okay. Vibrators, yep. erotica, and fantasy. And okay. we talk about these as tools as what, you know, in the same way you have an alarm clock to help you wake up in the morning, yep. you can use tools to boost arousal. We only ever recommend erotica and erotica is quite different from pornography. So erotica okay. is female directed, mm-hmm. female focused. So yes. you don't see camera angles sitting on a man's shoulder right. looking down yeah. at the submissive woman. It's very equality based. There's all yes. different body types. Okay. You see people communicating. It's harder to find than pornography. Yeah, I was going to um, say. You I won't didn't... find it on Pornhub. Yeah. You have to actually uh, know where to find it. But it's actually quite beautiful and quite artistic. Um, Mm. And so we've actually studied the effects of if you can actually use erotica as a tool, does it help boost women's desire? Yeah. And it does because it boosts arousal. So what we do in our groups is we have women, and I talk about this in the book, you have women watch some erotica for say 10 minutes, then she stops and you have her do a mindfulness meditation where she tunes into her body and specifically notices her vulva becoming full, full of blood and sensations. That can then trigger desire for Mm. her. Um, And so we've now studied this in a few different studies and now recommend it. So, and if for a lot of people, if they're, you know, conflicted about watching things can- Yeah. So literature, it can be read, right? Yes. And there's some great erotic books. Yep. Fifty Shades of Grey is not a good erotic book I because- But a lot of people had a lot of sex after they, that. They sure did, but yeah. it just, it, yeah. Yeah. We, we won't go down that rabbit hole. So yeah, there's different kinds of um, erotic literature that you yes. can find. It can be very arousing. Yes. Women, yes. Right. And that's a good thing because for me as a mindfulness researcher, what it does is it really encourages women to notice their bodies. Right? Yes. So their bodies are becoming excited and all they have to do now is pay attention to it. Oh, that makes so much sense. And it, and it really comes down to such a core message I think so many women need to have is just like bringing it home, like yeah. just showing up for yourself and like truly being in the moments and existing in them and enjoying them and not, it's hard for women. You know, we have spaghetti brains. We're yeah. a million different places all the time and it can be really, really hard to create that focus. So kind of as we wrap here, share how people can find you. Yeah. Let's remind them of your book. I want people to kind of dive into this and start learning about how to be more mindful for themselves, for their bodies, for their pleasure. 
start having sex for reasons beyond these things as well. So let us know where we yeah, can find you. Amazing. So we actually have a social media campaign going on right now called oh, Debunking cool. Desire. Hashtag Debunking, debunking Desire. Amazing. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We've got a website, uh, debunkingdesire.com. And what we've done there is we've, first of all, we've created a video. It's a 90 second yep. infographic video that basically takes the science and simplifies it down, but conveys oh, the so powerfulness. Cool. A lot of it is about the role of stress in women's yes. desire. And that's also a knowledge translation. So it's a way for us to take the scientific findings, push them out into the hands of women. So that goes on until August, okay. debunkingdesire.com. Um, and then my book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, can be found on Amazon or Chapters if you're in Canada. And then I'm on Twitter at... Dr. Lori Brado. What I love um, about those vehicles, those social media vehicles, is for women who've been suffering in silence for years, yes. they actually feel like it's a safe place for them yes. to ask these questions in a non-threatening way. And they know that they'll get credible advice Part of the, the problem is that there is a lot of um, kind of pseudoscience that's out there. Like yes. if you were to just sit in front of Google and type women's sexual desire, first of all, porn sites will come up. Yep. <laughs> um, and then once those get out of the way, there's just an endless sea of information and you don't know how to sift through like what's credible, what's scientific right. and evidence-based versus what isn't. And so sometimes people end up, you know, just getting lost in that track of, you know, not knowing where to go and yeah. then giving up after that. So debunking desire is also a place that we've put in a link to a lot of resources. That oh, I love that. And scientific and all about women's desire. And it's so, it's focused on women, which is like really important. We needed, we needed a little bit of attention. <laughs> yes, we do. We really do. And with International Women's Day on March oh 8th. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, yes, that's part absolutely. of why this. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is I knew it was going to be a juicy conversation, but I've actually learned a ton. And Aww. I know like listeners are going to be just so excited about this. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm so glad this worked out. Guys, go and check out her book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness. Dr. Lori Brado, thanks again. And uh, really looking forward to people kind of diving into this for themselves a little bit more. Yeah, me too. It's about time. It's about time. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then. Bye.